took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. And they came the fifteenth day of the second month. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. But you brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them to see if they will walk in my law or not. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, and our conviction is that the Word of God has never changed and never will. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 16. Our study continues with Dr. Mitchell as he explores the journey of the children of Israel into the wilderness with its many aggravations. We will be looking into the first four verses. Here, Moses and Israel have been on the way for a mere six weeks, a month and a half. They had just set out from Elam with its twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, where they had enjoyed God's supply for their wilderness wandering. But now, as we are reminded, they had forgotten the previous protections and provisions of God. Having forgotten, they again begin to murmur against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The issue this time is with food, and this gives rise to the Lord telling Moses how he will provide bread from heaven for them. Let's join Dr. Mitchell in Exodus chapter 16 on the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you, and how grateful we are for the privilege of talking to you day by day from the Word of God. You know, someone was speaking to me the other day about this question of trusting the Word of God down through the centuries. Let me just say this. If God is going to give man a revelation of himself, you can trust God to take care of that revelation. God doesn't just throw it out haphazardly. I repeat it. If God's going to give you a revelation of himself, a revelation of his purpose, of his program, of what he's going to do with the nations, what he's going to do with the church, what he's going to do with you personally. You can count upon it that God will take care of that revelation. And how wonderful it is that even though the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, the foolish is unto him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. How good to know that the Spirit of God takes the very deep things of God and reveals them unto open hearts and open minds. By the way, I'm quoting from the first book of Corinthians, chapter 2. 
It is a fact that God is more willing to reveal his truth to you than you are to have God reveal it to you. But again, I must declare that God will not reveal himself nor his truth to closed hearts, to closed minds. And there are a great many people today in America who have closed their minds to the truth of God. They don't want to hear about it. They would rather not hear about it. Why not? Because when you take the word of God, it goes right into your conscience. It goes right to the conscience. It goes right down into your heart. And when we take up these studies, for example, God has given to us these lessons for a distinct purpose, that you and I might know something of the ways of God, how God moves among people. And we've been dealing here with the question of God taking a race of slaves of over three million out from under slavery, out from under bondage, out of Egypt. And you remember in the preceding chapters, chapters, especially chapters 14 and 15, he led them right into a trap. But you know, God was with them there, and God protected them. And the natural heart is liable to say, well, why didn't God just move them right through without even stopping. Oh, no, he's dealing with a race of slaves. You can't take a whole nation of slaves and put them in a new country and expect them in the midst of enmity and opposition to do a job that God wants done. He's got to prepare them for what he has in store for them. I know that God could do the whole thing in a second if he wanted to. But that would rob you and me. That would rob the Israelites of learning experientially the power, the blessing, the patience, the long-suffering, the power of God. Why do you think he leaves you and me down here? He's got a purpose. Now, he may not leave you in the same test that I may have to go through, and vice versa. God knows what he's doing. And he, he deals with each one of us as individuals. Not as a great multitude of people, but as individuals whom he loves, for whom he has made provision that they might be fitted to spend eternity in his presence. I say what a wonderful thing it is that we have such a God who has made such provision. In fact, in his provision... He's done the whole business. What he wants of you is your trust, your faith, your love, your devotion. Now, you take this people of Israel, even though they were a bunch of murmurers, he still loved them. He still loved them. And I've said so often over this broadcast, our failures, our frailty, Weaknesses never affect his love for us. It affects us. It doesn't affect his love. His love is constant, always hot, always fervent, always perfect. He wants you to enjoy it. But you see, you can't enjoy it if you're living in a life of disobedience. You can't enjoy that love if you're walking away from God. The danger is that too many of us get occupied, if not with ourselves, 
we're occupied with the failures of others. And we're very quick to talk about it, forgetting that we ourselves are just as frail, just as weak as the other fellow. That's why God in infinite grace deals with us. No wonder the David could say, I would have fainted unless I had seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. The goodness of God, the patience of God, the, un, the, the faithfulness of God, he never changes. Encourage David in his troubles, in his trials. So with you. And this is what God has got to teach Israel. Now, we've had them come to the Red Sea. We've had the great song of Moses in chapter 15, the song of Miriam. We have how they came to the waters of Marah. They went three days in the wilderness, and they had no water. So they murmured, and they came to a, to a pool, and it was bitter. Boy, how they murmured. And Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord, you remember, told him to throw a tree into it and became sweet. And there the Lord revealed himself as Jehovah Rapha. I am the Lord that healeth thee. By the way, as we go through the, some of these portions of the Old Testament, don't forget these revelations of God. You remember in the book of Genesis, chapter uh, 14, God revealed himself for the first time to Abraham, that is El Elyon, the possessor of heaven and earth. Then he's revealed as El Shaddai, the almighty God, the nurturer, the one who's sufficient for every need. Then to Moses, he's revealed as Jehovah, the ever-present covenant-keeping God. And now he's revealed as Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now remember, here's a nation of slaves going into the wilderness for 40 years, for no drugstores, no doctors, no nothing in a howling wilderness for 40 years. At the very beginning, he says, I am the Lord that healeth you. If you obey my voice, just be obedient to me. I'll not put upon you this, the diseases of the Egyptians. May I tell you what a wonderful revelation. I am the Lord that healeth thee. And you remember, in John chapter 5, you have the last trace of God to heal under the law. In John chapter 5, at the pool of Bethesda, near Jerusalem. And the Lord he Jesus healed a man 38 years infirmed. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Then he came to Elam, a place of wells and palm trees. What, a, what an oasis in the wilderness. And you know, God has those places for us today too. Sometimes you say, well, I can't go any further and the next step, the Lord leads you into an oasis where you have wells of water and palm trees, a place where your needs are met, a place where you can have rest and comfort. How often, how often God leads his people through the storms and brings you into a quiet. And as Paul could say in Philippians 4, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So that's why he says, be careful for nothing. Don't worry. But in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passeth the understanding of men, shall gather us in your heart and your mind 
through Christ Jesus. So he brought them to Elam, and he comforted them, and he watered them, and he sheltered them, and he fed them. Now, starting in chapter 16, we have the revelation of the fact that God will take care of our material needs. Here you have the story in chapter 16 of how God uh, fed Israel on manna, M-A-N-N-A. It's called angel's food, bread from heaven. Allow me to read. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came into the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. That is, Elam, a place of springs, to Sinai, where they left the grace of God for law. And we're coming to a very, very uh, pivotal time in the history of Israel. And it tells you when they came, the 15th day of the second month. They've been on the way six, six weeks from the time they left Egypt. They've been six weeks on the way. In verse 2, And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. But you brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. <laughs> you know, they forgot how he split the Red Sea if they forgot how he changed the water from bitter to be sweet, they forgot his wonderful works in the land of Egypt, how quick we forget. Isn't that true? Oh, how quickly we forget the blessings of the Lord and get we become occupied with the difficulty of the way. Tests and trials come into our life and we murmur, just like Israel did. But you know, when I think of it, the very next statement says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them to see if they will walk in my law or not. I'm just going to test this people. Let me just stop here for a moment. You notice that their murmurings are going to be met by a divine supply. And by the way, this is ever true of grace. Always makes provision for us in our need. Now in verses 2 and 3, chapter 16, they would rather be in Egypt among the brick kilns under Pharaoh with their stomachs full of garlic and leeks and onions and cucumbers and you name it than to be in the wilderness with God, trusting God to supply our needs. Where would you rather be, Christian friend? Would you rather be in the world having all the desires of your flesh met but under tyranny, under the tyranny of sin and the desires of the flesh? Or would you rather be in the wilderness with God? I say that very frankly. Because today we, we grumble a great deal if we don't have everything that we want. Not everything we need, but everything we want. We want it. We want everything the other fellow has, and we're not satisfied. I needn't bear down on this. I needn't go any further except just to mention it. It's all around us. 
You'd open your eyes and see. What are most people living for? Desires of the flesh? One way or another, it might even be religious flesh. And how we cater to it. I say it very bluntly, how we cater to the flesh, even religious flesh. And forget God. We forget him. Yearning for our fellowship and our backs are turned to God in our desire for the things of the flesh, things to tickle our ears, things to tickle our flesh. Here's Israel, murmured, would to God we had died in the, by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. We sat by the flesh pots. We did breed bread to the full. But no joy when they lived there. They were murmuring. God said, I have heard their, I've heard their cries. I've seen their, their suffering, and I'm come down to deliver them. And God delivered them out of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. But can I trust God in the wilderness? So God gave them manna from heaven. Did God lead them into the wilderness to die? Huh? Do you think God led them out of Egypt to kill them in the wilderness? You say, of course not. But if you had been there, what would you have done? Chances are we would have murmured. Here you're traveling along in the heat of the day, this howling place, sand everywhere, no water, nothing to eat. The cattle are crying out for water and for food. The children are crying for something to eat and something to drink. Did God take you into the wilderness to die? I should say not. But how we are like, as I said a while ago, we're just like them. We did. Listen, friend, we never rebelled against the sin that ruled over us. Not a strange thing. We never re rebelled against uh, the tyranny of sin. We didn't murmur against the result of sin. You never hear of people rebelling against sin. When I hear people blaming God for what sin has done, I've heard people in hospitals blame God for what they're going through. Listen, friend, God is righteous. God is holy. God is not a tyrant. He loved people enough to die for them. And he's taken this race of slaves and he said, this is my firstborn. And day after day, they rebelled and they murmured. I say again, I want to say it very, very clearly. The man of the world doesn't rebel against sin. He doesn't rebel against the footage of sin. But when he is experiencing the footage of what he's done, then he blames God for it. And God is blamed for a great deal of things. And may I remind you again that God is absolute in righteousness and holiness. And God will always do the right thing. In fact, I'm amazed at the love and the grace and the tenderness, the long-suffering and the patience of God with us. How much of the time, Christian friend, let me talk to you a moment. How much of the time do you give to God? 
Just sit down and analyze it. How much time do you give to the Lord? And how much time do you give to yourself? You see, when Mr. Mitchell, a man's got to make a living, no friend, you don't have to make a living. But you have to die, and you've got to stand before God. I'm not opposed to making a living. God's given us brains to use on this question. But what I'm after is this. It's a strange thing. Israel forgot the slavery. Israel forgot what they suffered in Egypt. They forgot the goodness of God in the land of the living. And they murmured. And how quick we are to blame God for the things we go through. Now remember, this was a forgiven people, a redeemed people, an accepted people. They were the people of God. That's what you and I are. If you've accepted the Savior, you've been forgiven every sin. You've been covered with the righteousness of Christ. You're accepted in the Beloved. You've been bought. God has bought you for himself. You're the people of God. You're children of God. And yet, and yet, like Israel, when the test comes, we begin to murmur. How soon they forgot their deliverance. And how soon we forget the freshness and the wonderfulness of his love and of his grace. You know, I think of that verse in Revelation chapter 2. Where, the, where John writes to the Ephesian church and he says, I have one thing against you, just one thing against you. You have lost your first love. That is that fervency of love for the Savior. You know, you know what I mean? You know, it's a real thrill for me to see people accept the Savior and their lives are transformed and they've got that fervency, that sweetness of love for the Savior. Huh? It just thrills your heart. They don't know much about spiritual life. They don't know much about the ways of God. They don't know much about the program of God. But they've come in touch with a Savior. They're enjoying forgiveness. Their lives are changed. And people, some people think they've gone off their head. Oh, no. They're enjoying the fervency of love for Christ. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you very frankly how soon we lose that freshness of love for the Savior, and the Lord misses it. How about you? How about me? We allow things and personal desires, self-occupation, sometimes self-sympathy. But we, we come to the place where we forget so quickly the amazing love of God for men and women, for you and for me. I'll just say this to you as we enter this 16th chapter of Exodus, where God's going to meet their murmurs, he's going to meet them with a divine supply, and he always does. You know that? He always does. Are you in test? Are you in trial today? Does everything look so black, you don't know which way to turn? You wonder if even God's forgotten you. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. The Lord, the Lord sees everything, he hears everything, he knows everything. And he never leaves you and he never forsakes you. But he wants you to enjoy him. And listen, friend, 
He knows more about your needs than you do. He knows more about the opposition than you do. He knows more about your circumstances than you do. And he's right there, and he's all for you. And as Paul could say, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now you get your eyes on the Lord today. Pour out your heart to him. Tell him all about your troubles. Go ahead and do it. He's got a very wonderful hearing. He is the faintest whisper of his weakest child. And he's waiting for you to come into his presence and open up your heart to him. And he'll meet your need. And he's always on time. And the Lord bless you today for his wonderful namesake. Death could not hold him. Now life has a goal. Jesus is coming. We all will be whole. The life that he gives us, so rich and so free, will go on forever, eternally. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. Write to us with your comments and your prayer requests to the Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.